0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you that you are an awesome God and that uh, as we take our lives and place it in your hands, Father, you send us on an adventure, Father. Uh, You give us a, a wild ride, Father, and take us to places and do things in our lives, Father. I pray that we would be able to settle down into your hands, that we would nestle, abide, rest in you, and that you, Father, would provide, protect and give the things that need to happen in our lives, Father, so that we would always fill our lives full of praise. The worship songs we just sang, Father, I pray they would re- resound in our heart to be true. That, that your name, Father, is precious. That Jesus is a wonderful God to serve. And that uh, we would just sit at his feet, Father, and to give our thanks and, and praise to him. Uh, we just uh, ask You to work in this time to uh, take this message and have it sink down deep into our ears in that uh, we would have changed lives, Father. We just praise You, we thank You, and give You all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We, uh, we left in chapter 9 and Jesus has been hammering home some messages to His disciples. One of the things we said is that Jesus is looking for true disciples. And there's a lot of fake, a lot of phony, a lot of hypocrites out there. There are a lot of pretenders. And and I don't want to be a pretender in my life. I want to be the real deal. Uh, I take Christianity, I take life very seriously. And I'm amazed at how many people take things very flippantly. And uh, they just live their lives in a blind Uh, uh, no ambition, uh, empty sense of direction. And Jesus is really, he's trying to give us direction with our lives. He has been hammering home to wake up, to to open your eyes and see what's around you. The world is asleep. He's trying to give us a sense of, of how to be converted, to take our lives and to give it over to him and to become born again. And one of the things Jesus is saying, and he ended his statement And I think it's in verse 43 we can pick up there in the middle of that. He says, but while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did. He was very impressive. Raising the dead, calming the storms, doing the the miraculous. He said to his disciples, he goes, let these words sink down into your ears. And we said last week, that's about Jesus' way of saying, let this get through your thick skulls. He says, "He says, let these words sink down into your ears. He says, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Jesus is going to be stabbed in the back, if you would. Everything that would look good to a man is going to be happening to Jesus on the opposite side of being bad. He's going to be stabbed in the back. And he's telling you that, but he's not going to lose his joy. He's not going to lose his composure. And they didn't understand what he was saying, but they did not understand this saying... And it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. They were missing the spiritual side of life. Jesus took him out on the Mount of Transfiguration. He unzipped his flesh, if you would, and you got to see the spiritual side of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, we've got to start thinking, thinking spiritually. And so many of us, we have thick skulls, we only think Physically, we only think in how we are physically. And and everything is in terms of how it relates to my flesh. Spiritual people, though, have to say, I can forsake the flesh, be crucified, stabbed in the back, and still keep my eyes on God. So, Jesus has been asking, and now he's going to turn around. And it's sad to see that these guys turned around and, and started to fight. It says, verse 46, we're picking up in today's chapter. It says, then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest. I'm sure Jesus is just having a conniption at this point. Here he is. He just showed them the whole spiritual truth he's trying to explain to them to be spiritual and here they are squabbling like a bunch of kids in the back seat of a car saying, "I'm better than you. I'm better than you. No, I'm going to be the number 1 disciple." Who do you think's the best disciple? Who do you think Jesus loves more? Who do you think's going to be good? I'm better. You could just see that Jesus has been separating some of his boys to be better than the others. We've seen Peter, James, and John sit down and be separated from the pack. They were taken into the room when Jesus resurrected the little girl from the dead. They were there taken up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they're sitting down, they're saying, you know, we're the hot disciples. We're the ones that are going someplace. Jesus really has something for me. And probably between Peter, James, and John, they were having a good old squabble. And I'm sure it was just irritating Jesus. Well, it probably wasn't Peter, James, and John, because Peter just stuck his foot in his mouth about building three tabernacles, ruined the whole thing, and God had to interject and correct Peter. So maybe Peter wasn't so braggy at this point. But there's probably, at least with James and John, you're seeing that James and John had an attitude. They're, they're thinking, we're smoking hot. We're better than everyone else. We have an inside track. We're thinking that we're, well, you know, uh, there's the 12 disciples, and out of the 12, we're the best. And then maybe James and John were sitting down and says, well, who do you think's better between us two? Well, I'm the favorite disciple of Jesus. And Jesus is looking at that argument, an argument which we have with ourselves and someone else almost on a daily basis of always comparing ourselves to someone else. It happens in our mind. That's the way we think. That's the way you and I reason. We get, uh, we work on the job, we get promoted, we get fired. We're always looking at ourselves and say, what happened here? We look at ourselves compared to our peers, compared to our family members. We're always comparing. I'm not very good because others are better. I'm better than these other people, so I must be okay. That's just the way we think. And Jesus is trying to say, you've got to stop that way of thinking. Break that habit. And here it is, that sets the tone. A dispute, a fight, arose between them, the disciples, as to which one would be the greatest. And notice this, in Jesus perceiving the thought of their heart. That's a a tough verse. He's looking into their hearts, and you can almost see him squabbling. He's not hearing the exact words, but he can see that these guys are squabbling. They're pecking at each other. He took a little child, and he set him by him, and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, all will be great. So Jesus takes a child and he says, you know, here's somebody who's innocent, uh, unpretentious if you would. He's somebody who's what? Not pushing or shoving his way around in a room full of adults, the child isn't going to win anything. And Jesus is turning around and says, why don't we be a little bit more like this? Why do we always have to push and shove our way to the top of some pile that doesn't even exist when we should learn from a child? We, as, as humans, we run the rat race. We're always trying to get ahead. Run, 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 run. Got to get ahead. And Jesus turns around and says, you're running a rat race. You're a rat in a race going nowhere. Your life consists of so many things that you think that have to get done, and what's the end goal of where you're going? You're as dumb as a rat in the maze, running around with your head chopped off like a chicken there, sitting down there, blah! And, and, and God is trying to speak to you and I today to say we've got to let go of that concept of being better, of the competition, of the, of the being you know ahead. And a child is somebody who's not going to push and shove. He's just sitting there and he's saying, I have to take what's given to me. That attitude is, should be what's in us as believers. And it says, now John answered and he said, Hey, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. There's some other guys running around town and they're out there just casting out demons in Jesus' name. And we went up and we told them to stop it. We forbade him because he does not follow with us. Do you hear that? He's not one of us. He doesn't go to Calvary Chapel Columbus. And if they're not part of Calvary Chapel Columbus, the one true church, well, then they must can't be, and they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. We get that mentality. And Jesus is just looking at him and he says, you know, there's some other guy out there. He's got a, a clue. He's trying. Leave him alone. And Jesus said to him, do not forbid him. For he who is not against us, he's on our side anyway. He's trying. He's casting out demons, you know. At least he's not a demon. Give the guy some credit. And, and what Jesus is, is, is harping on is that attitude of the us mentality. And the us mentality brings that mentality of superiority. And we we can find rest and comfort when we have a sense of being better than someone else. That sweet taste of victory as a human being to say, I beat them all. I'm ahead of the game. And somehow or another we feel like, well then I've got to be okay. I've got to be accepted. I, I find a place where I can finally relax. And that... that Competitive nature, that 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 tendency to always be striving to push is what Jesus is saying is what kills us, is that kills us as Christians, it kills us as people in the kingdom of God, and it, it warps us. We need to be able to rest and relax in Jesus. It says Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus is now going to be working to know that he has to die on the cross. He's going to steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. What that means, he's heading in the direction. He's up in Galilee, if you would, up to the north, and he's going to be going down to Jerusalem. He's going to be going, if you would, and uh, he has to go through the land of Samaria. Now, if you know anything about the geography of Israel, it's rather simple that Israel uh, was once a unified nation. At one point, it went into a civil war. It went to the north into the south uh, many years before Jesus ever showed up. And uh, with the north and the south, if you would, uh, we watched the north fall into idolatry quicker than the south did. And what happened to the north was that it was, uh, came in and the Assyrians took it over. When the Assyrians took over uh, a land, they redistributed all the people. They would come in and say, well, you have your gods, you have your customs, you have your culture. And is what we want is we want you to worship the Assyrians and what the Assyrians believe. So is what we're going to do is take all the people, half the people, we're going to mix them all up together. We'll take some from over here, we'll have them all move. And they, they really believed in just taking cultures and just having a mass exodus and marching them all to another land, put them into a foreign land. And then they would say, well, we don't know where we are, what we're doing And you would take away a lot of people's culture and have them start to become mixed in with believing whatever the Assyrians would believe. So if you would, Israel to the north got kind of gobbled up. The Assyrians came in and swiped out a big part of it, moved everyone out of town, sent them way into wherever, and then took a whole bunch of other people from wherever and moved them in. So when Jesus is walking the planet, if you would, there's... Jerusalem down to the south, those were the good Jews, if you would. They were a little bit truer to the core of what Judaism was, even though they ended up falling to the Babylonians. Then you would have, if you would, there was the region of Galilee up to the north. They were semi-good, but in the middle of the land, there was the land of Samaria, it was called. And Samaria was just the place, the Samaritans were just the mixed breed of people. And so, a lot of the Jews, who would think that they're so much better than all their neighbors, when they would see a Samaritan, when they would see certain things going on, uh, they hated Samaritans. They despised them. It's a close assimilation, but not the same. But it would be fair to assume that it would be like saying a Palestinian today. So, if you are anywhere near dialed into what happens between the Jews and the Palestinians. It's almost as if saying there's the Palestinian people that are up there. So you have this weird thing where Jesus was from Galilee. He ministered in Galilee. And there are times that they would sit down and have to go through Samaria. There are times so that Jesus is saying he's up north and he's setting his face. He's heading in that direction. He's going home. Most of the Jews would rather go all the way around a gazillion miles and spend a few more days to walk around Samaria than to be in Samaria. And Jesus is saying, nope, we're going through it. I'm the son of man, or son of God, I can do what needs to get done. And it says, it says, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so, Jesus, as he's got an entourage of people with him, he now sent messengers before his face. He's going to send a few forerunners to go into the land. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him, but they did not receive him. So, the Samaritans are saying, we don't want another Jew in our town. Because his face was set for a journey to Jerusalem. And so they're going, oh, you know, these two guys, three guys, whatever, come in and says, we got a whole entourage of people coming in here. They're trying to get some dinner reservations, a place to stay. We know that Jesus is going to soon send out 70 disciples. So we got Jesus, an entourage of 70, plus a handful of other women and kids that might be going along the journey, too. It's a whole entourage. And so they're saying, we need, a, you know, a bunch of, you know, food. We need a place to stay. And where can we sleep? What can we do? These guys were supposed to be setting up camp. And so they went to town and they said, we don't want you guys in here. Get out of here. When you're not welcome. <clears throat> because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Well, you're going to Jerusalem? We don't want any part of you. We hate the Jews. And when the disciples... James and John, who were the two people that were probably arguing that they were the greatest and best, they were probably the forerunners that were there sent to set this up. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Hey, Jesus, you know, we just went into town and they didn't want us. So they come back he says, Hey, Jesus, guess what? Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Hey, just as Elijah did? Hey... Let's burn that town. Hey, Jesus, they reject us. Let's nuke them. What do you think? <laughs> Sounds good, don't you think, Jesus? Not a bad idea. But he turned and he rebuked them. He says, oh, you bunch of nuts. And he said, do you not know what manner of spirit you are of? This is God coming into town. We're not here to kill them all. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. And Jesus says, let's just move on. We won't spend the night in the town. We don't have to kill them. Now, it's amazing that they would have such a concept. to say, can't we just kill them? Don't we want to call down fire from heaven? Now, it's interesting. Jesus was just rebuking the disciples to say, you don't understand the power that you have in the Spirit. They took that statement as to say, Well, you know what? If Jesus wants us to crank it up a notch, we'll crank it up a notch. The disciples, leaning off of last week's sermon, if you haven't if you weren't here, sorry, but the, the concept was that Jesus gave them, chapter nine, verse one, the power and the authority to execute and to have power over all the demons. And so they go up on the Mount of Transfigurations, they see the power of the Spirit, Jesus comes down and they turn around and there's a demon they can't cast out. And we said that they failed to execute the power and the authority and has to be combined with faith. If you do not have faith, right, uh, your power and authority are kind of null and void. You have to believe, have trust in the power and the authority of Christ. You have to deliver that message. But listen here. They are doing just what Jesus said in a sense. They are now saying, okay, you want us to have faith? Faith would be that power, you know, that fire is going to come down to destroy them. You want me to have faith, Jesus? I believe in you. I believe that anybody against you, and I understand what you are. You're somebody who can calm the seas. You can raise the dead. Well, you know, Elijah would call down fire from heaven. That seems to be a godly concept. Well, why can't we? I'll tell you, Jesus, you told me to have faith. I'm going to be a good boy. I'm going to impress Jesus, and I'm going to show him real faith. But Jesus now is clarifying his statement a little bit. He goes, Yeah, well, uh you got to know the, the the nature of God, okay? If you got faith to call down fire from heaven, well, good boy. I'm glad you're believing that you can. I'm glad that you're starting to think outside the bounds of the physical and starting to believe in some really powerful spiritual things. But you don't know the spirit you're of. There is... The heart of God. And God's heart is not to kill them all. God's heart is to turn around and to show mercy. And he says a very strong statement. He says, you don't know the God that you're serving if you think we're here to kill them all. We want you to have faith, but there's the wrong kind of faith. And hello, we live in a world where there are spiritual people, where there are people that believe in their God, and that there are people that have powerful levels of faith, but you know what? It's the wrong faith. A bad faith. A faith that doesn't understand the heart of God. And if you're going to go become a suicide bomber and blow up buses full of kids, and you can sit down and do it all in the name of God, you can say that God told you to do it, you can sit down there and come up with any and every excuse that you want, but the end result is is, that ain't God. It's not God. And, and, and the, the world can be full of insanity on people that believe that they have faith to do very destructive things. This almost seems uh, uh, crazy. That here's a disciple, A, arguing on who's the best, Peter and James thinking that they're really good and this is why they always get the name the Sons of Thunder because they're going to call down fire from heaven and Jesus is saying you have to understand the basics of a God of love. A number one critical aspect of what's happening. Jesus is here not to oppress people but to liberate people. Verse 57 it says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Oh, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. All right, you want me to be your disciple? And you can see people attracted to Jesus, and they're saying there's something about this guy. I want to do this. And Jesus now He's going to give three nullifying statements, if you would, that are going to turn people off. But first he goes up to this guy and he says, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Sounds good. Sounds like so many people that just promise their lives to God. And Jesus says, well, you really think so? He says, here, choke on this. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What is he saying? He's saying, well, you know, a, a dumb fox, an animal, it at least gets to dig a hole in the ground and has a place called home. I don't have a home. You know, a little twinkly little bird that floats around, it can make a nest and knows what it is to have a home, a nest. When you want to be a disciple of Jesus, are you willing to say that you would be homeless? Oh, no, Jesus, I gave my life to the Lord, and I'm out here sleeping underneath the bridge now. That's just wrong. I would expect that God is going to give me a bigger house and a nicer car and wonderful things. I have faith in God, and God, you better deliver. And if, God, you don't deliver the things that I would think, what do we see so many people do? They turn and walk away from the Lord because, a wah, 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 I didn't get my way. And Jesus says, if you would like to enter onto a spiritual journey, are you prepared to say that you could be homeless? Is that okay with you? I mean, I sound like a cruel cruel person. I've had a lot of people come up and everyone seems to think that the pastor is a sucker that has this large checkbook and just writes out checks all day long. I, I On a weekly, almost sometimes a daily basis, I get the phone call. Oh, you know... My oh, little baby doesn't have formula. We're going to lose the rent and blah, 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 blah. And they're like, well, you know, can you cut, you know, they they expect me to drive over and hand them a check for $100. Like I've got nothing else to do besides just drive over, give somebody $100 because they happen to give me the right sob story. And you hear it. If I just had $15, I've got 25 but if I could just get $15 more dollars, I'd be able to get a hotel room tonight. and I have, almost sound cruel. I go, well, what's wrong with sleeping outside? Jesus slept outside. <gasps> you could hear the silence on the other side of the phone, like, I can't believe a man of God would just say that. Is it such an atrocity to sleep outside for the night? And if I were to actually say that to people, and I said it a couple of times, almost out of frustration, because it's just a daily hounding of what happens sometimes but sometimes you have to put your life in a certain perspective to say if it went that bad that you lost your house and you're sleeping outside would it be the end of the world would you be out there cursing God for that and Jesus clearly says he goes hey foxes have old birds I don't have that you want to be a disciple you give that up can you do that uh, uh-uh. hey we've tried to go into the Samaritans people don't even want us in town can you put up with that? Uh, that's not what I want to do with my life, Jesus. So he goes to another person. He says, follow me. And he turns around and says, well, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. I really want to be your disciple, but my dad just died and it's time for a funeral and things are going on. Now, hey, doesn't this sound like, you know, a fair, legitimate thing? I mean, you know, if you were coming to me and says, Dave, I'd really like to, uh, you know, come to your church, but, uh, you know, my dad died on Friday, the funeral's on Sunday, I'm not going to make it this week, but, you know, hey, how about if I make it next Sunday, is that okay? And then Jesus turns around and says, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Jesus... Have some mercy, dude. What about the heart of the Father to go and save everyone? This guy's putting it up. And Jesus is going to turn around and says, I'm sorry. Put your life in priorities here. Let the dead bury the dead. Very cold statement. And another also says, well, Lord, I'm going to follow you. Oh, I want to be a believer. He says, will you let me first go and bid farewell to to those who are at my house? I'm going to give my life and I'm going to follow you. And I'm willing to be homeless, but can I go say goodbye to my mom? Ah, sissy. Mama's boy, if that's what you got to do. Jesus said, no one having to put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Ow, Jesus. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, you know what, if you're called, then who cares what mummy is doing, okay? Who cares about the rest of the issues in your life? Serve God, God alone, and put it together. And Jesus is saying in a very powerful way, suck it up. Quit your whining, your complaining, and all the things that you are just so consumed with, you're thinking like carnal people, focus on the kingdom of God. Yeah, but Jesus, I'm only talking about a house. That I need a house to live in. I'm only talking about saying goodbye to my mommy. I mean, I'm going to serve you. I'm willing to die for you. But can I say goodbye to my mom? Sissy boy. <laughs> Jesus. And you think of that, you know, there's the whole adage, you know, you put your hand to the plow and if you want to have the straight rows and everything there, you got to look forward. You can't look behind you. You don't know where you're going. I've heard a whole bunch of things about it, but no matter how you cut it, it's a it's a cutting statement. That Jesus is saying and he is really speaking a very bold strong message for us to get our priorities together to have faith united with the power and authority that he has given us and to not allow anything and I mean anything to disrupt or to warp our thinking that would take our faith and to lead it into a false faith that we would think that we would have power to come in and to destroy. Because how far off were James and John, two of his closest disciples, and we're assuming that these guys are calling down fire to destroy something, and you could almost see how you and I can get into a warped way of thinking to justify hating someone else. And it is amazing on how you and I can turn around and hate people in the name of Jesus and somehow or another sleep at night. And God is saying, excuse me? Excuse me? Do you understand what you're saying and what you're doing? Because in Christianity, in spiritual matters, in godly things, I'm telling you, it's a hair, a hair that knocks us off and throws us into insanity. And we cannot tolerate that hair. And Jesus is going to say, no, I'm I'm calling you to to the road of spirituality. I'm calling you to the road of life. And you cannot turn around and put a place or people or position in front of any of those things. So it gets interesting. We're going to go through Luke 10 now. He says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two, before his face, into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So he turns them off and scatters them into everything. Now, if you were with us in in Luke chapter 9, we saw that he sent the 12 out in twos. That's six groups. Now, all of a sudden, there's 35 groups of two, and he's going to send these guys out on a missionary journey. And he said to them, he says, the harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few. So many people need to hear the gospel message. So many people need to be liberated. But so few people actually want to do the work of evangelism, of preaching the message of the kingdom of God. He says, therefore, he says, uh, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. God, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Please, Lord, send out your missionaries. Lord, please stimulate people to wake up, to rise up, to speak the truth because so much of Christianity, so much of the world is corrupt with false religions. It makes me sick to look at false religions. That, that that you know, Islam is the number one spreading uh, religion in the world right now. And then it goes into the Christian circles where Mormonism is spreading in the fastest of all Christian religions. Well, hello? And can't we at least pray to say, you know what, this world is going to pot. And our prayer should be, Lord, send them out. Lord, send out true believers. Send out people that are not corrupted with the wickedness of this world. And Jesus says, the harvest truly is great. There's so many souls out there that need to be saved, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He says, go your way. And then he gives them a list of things to happen. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Well, when it comes down to the battle between the the lamb and the wolf, uh, uh, I think the lambs are usually about zero and wolves normally win. I, I don't think I've ever heard the story of a lamb beating up on a wolf. And he says, hey, you're going to be the chopped liver out there that's going to be chopped to pieces here and the wolves are going to devour you. You need to be prepared for the fight of the century. He says, verse 4, carry neither money bag. So you're not going to do it with all your money. It doesn't cost money to send out the gospel. You don't have to have a roof over your head. You don't have a knapsack nor sandals and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. And if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Don't be scatterbrained and just run around and blab everything everywhere. He says, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you. You heal the sick, And you say to them, the kingdom of God God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, you go out into its streets, you make a public proclamation against the city, and, and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this that the kingdom of God has come near you. You've had your chance. You could have received great and wonderful things, but we don't want you. You gave him a fair chance. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. And so if you would, Jesus is sending out his ambassadors. Jesus is sending out his people with a radical message. You don't need money. You don't need a knapsack. You don't need a roof over your head. You need nothing. I've given you everything you need. You have power over demons. You have authority over demons. If it is united with faith in the love of God, you will present the truth. If it's to be rejected well, that's their problem. You shake the dust off your feet. But you have got to be radical to go forward to preach the truth. Now, notice what he says. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable, it be better in that day for Sodom uh, than for that city. So, if you know anything about Sodom and Gomorrah, they were struck with fire and brimstone. They had raving bands of homosexuals running around trying to rape these two angels that were in there. God said, enough's enough. So he turned around and sent fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed them. They are heralded as probably the scuzz of all scuzz. And Jesus is saying, if you've had the message of Jesus come into your life and you want to reject it, Sodom and Gomorrah is going to stand better on Judgment Day than you. Wow, well, that's—I mean, you know—I uh, just wanted to bury my father, <laughs> uh, Jesus. Uh, uh, I just wanted to be able to know that I'd have a roof for my little children, Jesus. <laughs> and I—I I, I just wanted to say goodbye to mom. Ah, sissy boy, better Sodom than you. What? Jesus, are you nuts? <laughs> I'm better than Sodom. Now, come on. I'm not out here trying to rape an angel. I'm not that bad. Oh yeah, you are. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bathsheba. Woe is the opposite of a blessing, he says, verse 13. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre in Sidon, now Tyre, if you would, and, and Sidon. Sidon's a wicked place because that's where the wicked Jezebel is from the queen of heaven, if you would. And Tyre is a place where, I believe it's Ezekiel is saying that the king of Tyre was the one that was just like, uh, uh the king of hell. And, and here you have Tyre and Sidon, both places ripped upon in the old Testament. And then turning around, he says, if the works, which had been done in you, where Jesus came to Chorazin, Bethsaida, he had done healings. He had done miracles. These were some places up in Galilee where Jesus did some wonderful things. And, uh, I believe it's Galilee. But these are towns where Jesus did miracles and they turned around and they're sitting down. I've done miracles in your town and, and here's Tyre and Sidon, some wicked places and, and if they had been done, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. So Tyre and Sidon, Old Testament places that were notoriously evil. Jesus comes in and says, if these two wicked places had seen me, they would have repented. They would have been smart enough to make a change. But you, you can sit down and have Jesus doing all the miracles in your life and you turn around and go, I have more part these do. And Jesus goes, man, how can you say that? Verse 14, But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, And you go, well, geez, this is the place where Jesus called almost his hometown. This was his home away from home, if you would. He says, you who are exalted to heaven, you had wonderful miracles done. God gave you a great opportunity. You're going to be brought down to Hades, the place of hell, the, the grave, the lowest point you can go. He says, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. He who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So, if you can't receive the words of what Jesus is saying, Jesus says, you might as well be spitting in the face of God. Oh! But the 70, they returned with joy, saying, Oh, Lord! Man, we went out and we were doing just what you said, and we did all these wonderful things. As even the demons are subject to us in your name and they he said to them, "Oh, good boys." And I and Jesus is giving them an attaboy at this point. He says, "Man, I I I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You were effective. The powers of darkness were falling apart because you stood, you proclaimed the message of God, you didn't take anything with you. You had your eyes focused on God's kingdom and you got results." And Jesus is going, "Oh, man, I could see Satan just fall into the ground, man. Yeah, we got him." I saw Satan like lightning falling from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all all, all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. And so, you know, I, I like this, that here's a group of people that walk into town and listen, that there really are They had, if if the town saw the disciples, the 70 come marching into town, two of them are there. These people were demonstrating power and authority over the demonic. And the community turned around and rejected that and says, now we don't want it. What kind of people is is that? That that would say, there's power and authority over the demonic, the boogeyman. My biggest fears, here's a way to conquer it. And we go, no, no. I'm happy with them the way that they are. We'll keep our little demons in our little closets the way that we have it. And we really don't want to get rid of them at this point. They're kind of convenient. On a Friday night, hey, it's fun to dance with them demons. It's fun to go out and boogie on a Saturday night with a couple of those demonic things. I'm not quite ready to give that up. And Jesus, really, he's saying, well, (laughs) if that's what you want, that's what you got, have it. Yours, and he's saying, Well, you know what, there are people that made that choice there are there is a way to, to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by shall no means hurt you you're you're doing wonderful. He says, Nevertheless, okay, good boys, good boys, add a boy. he says, but, but, but but. He says, do not rejoice in this. You know, this is good. He says, but what's better, he says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this as the spirits are subject to you. That's good, but, but rather rejoice. What really should tickle your fancy, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You have eternity in heaven because you have made the decision to serve me without home, without burying your dad, and without saying goodbye to mom. You get entrance into the kingdom of heaven and wow! You you have got the golden ticket. So glad you could conquer you know, Christianity's just not getting rid of the boogeyman. Christianity is entering into paradise. Streets of gold, eternity with God. Woo! No more tears lying, laying down with the lambs. Woo! This is great. Power of the Holy Spirit. Woo! I love it. You go, that's good. You got better things coming your way. That's what's really gonna make you happy. That's what's gonna tickle your fancy. And he says, in that hour Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Just... These, these bunch of nuts that have been dragging around with me, they're getting it. They're understanding. This isn't the wisdom of the world. This isn't something you've got to go and get a Ph.D. to understand God. It's a simple, childlike faith to have the power and the authority that God gave you to have it united with a simple faith to be able to say, hey, that Jesus stuff works. And I'll at all costs give up everything to serve Jesus and Him alone. He says, you've revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it, it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and, and who the Father is except the Son, and to the one whom the Son wills to reveal them. So we've opened up their hearts. They're starting to see that they can, that they can bear forth fruit for the kingdom. And he, returned to, and he turned to his disciples and said privately, Man, you guys, you see what you've done? You see what just happened? Blessed are the eyes which uh, see the things which you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. This is a, a new era, a new thing in the history of man. Jesus is doing a new work to deliver his power and authority to the church. And he says, oh, there's so many people that never had this opportunity. You have got a golden opportunity, church, church to receive power and authority over darkness like so many people throughout history never had it. And that is the miracle of life, that we could have such wonderful things. And it is sad to see in this age of grace in the modern church today that so much of the church is... (sighs) Not really. I'm not really into that. That Jesus stuff kind of quenches my style a little bit, you know? I I don't particularly go for it. You know, church on Sunday... I mean, that's the one day I get to sleep in. What? Go to a Saturday night prayer meeting? What are you, crazy? What? Church on Sunday? After I went to church on Sunday morning? You want me to go to church Sunday night? What are you, crazy pastor? You got your Sunday morning. Now shut up. You want me to memorize a verse for Wednesday night? And, and, and honestly, our attitude is, is just repulsive, I think, sometimes to the Lord. I think he says, man, I'm giving you power and authority. Everybody that's ever lived before Christ would kill to have this opportunity. Sodom would have repented. Hey, you know, uh, you could take <laughs> Sidon and, and Tyre, and they would have been happy what you have, and you take it and you fall asleep on it. Hello? I mean, Jesus is making some very radical, cutting points. They've not heard it. Verse 25, And behold, a certain lawyer. (laughs) We love lawyers, don't we? Uh, uh, I could really go off on that one. But a lawyer. And lawyers know how to twist everything for their own way. That's what a lawyer does. He doesn't care who's guilty or who innocent. It's his job to put a spin on something. So I guess in, in light of the reality of the truth, a lawyer says, well, I don't particularly like to hear this. Let me see if I can spin this into something more favorable. But a lawyer, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying, Teacher, oh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? <laughs> Jesus goes, did you just catch anything of what I just said? They Obviously you didn't. And, and he's gonna test Jesus, and that's what he's doing. He just wants to sit down there and wiggle out of what's saying. He goes, what do I have to do in eternal life? And Jesus turns around, he puts it right back into his court, and he says, and he said to him, well, what's written in the law? You're a lawyer, don't you know? And he says, what's written in the law? What's your reading of it? So he answered, he said, well, uh, uh, well, I guess uh, you shall love the Lord, very vague, you know, love the Lord, with uh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, well, that's a good answer. It doesn't say anything too specific, you know, but it's a good answer, and I can wiggle out of that statement all day long. And he said to him, well, you've answered rightly, good answer. He says, do this. Uh, and you will live but you can see now it's explaining his motivation behind his argument but he wanting to justify himself now that word justify is very very critical to justify is to turn around and to make yourself into a right standing for him to say I don't really want to change I don't really want to do anything and the way that I've been living my life is okay don't ask me to make a radical change in my life we'd like to justify everything that we've ever done and make it seem okay but he, and this guy says, I want to justify, I want to put a spin on this. Jesus, you just told me to radically live for you, not say goodbye to mom, not worry about my dead dad, not worry about where I'm supposed to live. You just told me all these wonderful things. And somehow or another, I can't quite swallow those statements, Jesus. So I'd like to be able to say, well, I'm okay. And you can see the spin starting to come right in to say, I can't comprehend the things that Jesus just told me. How am I going to get myself out of this? Because I can't do what he just asked me to do. But he says, but he wanted to justify himself. He says, well, I've got a little answer for you. Well, and who's my neighbor then? Define neighbor. Define the word is. We'll spin it any which way we can. It really depends what you really mean by neighbor. Now, love your neighbor. That can be very important. Love and define love. Who knows what love is? I mean, I care about him. I like him. I didn't shoot the guy. I'm not calling down fire from heaven. I, of course, I love, 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 love. Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus answers and says, Well, I'll tell you what the neighbor is. And I believe that this is going to be one of the hearts of the whole gospel message. Jesus answered and he said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jer- uh, Jericho and fell among thieves. So a guy's walking down the road. Thieves jumped him, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, beat the tar out of the guy, and they split, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road. Oh, Mr. Holy Spiritual Priest. And when he saw him, the priest came up. He passed by the other side. Ooh, don't want to touch this guy. Close my eyes. Likewise, a Levite. And a Levite would be someone from the tribe of, of uh, you know, Levi, which is one of the Jews. He should have been somebody of the priestly order as well. When he arrived at the place, he came and looked. This guy at least looked. But he made a conscious decision to keep on going, and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan. Ooh, a Palestinian. We don't like Samaritans. A Samaritan, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he had an ounce of decency. He says, when a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he's looking right at the problem now. Here's the difference. He had compassion. Now, oh, look, man, here's another human being. Being even as it is a Jew, we would assume, here, a Samaritan would say, we just can't let another guy die. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he sent him on his own animals, says, man, I'll walk, you ride. Here, let's pick you up and get you going. Brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, which is about two days worth of work, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him." And whatever more you need, when I come again, I will repay you. So take care of this guy. Let him heal up. I'm going to move on and I'll come back and I'll just pay whatever the tab. tab. And so now Jesus turns around and says, now, answer the question. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? well, the lawyer, wise man that he is, and he says, well, uh, he who showed mercy on him. Notice he didn't say the Samaritan. He just said the guy who showed mercy. Can't even say that word, Samaritan. <laughs> the guy who showed mercy to him. And Jesus says, well, bingo, now you got it. Go and do likewise. And there's a lot to this parable where Jesus is really explaining what true love is. And love is the one that's going to put things into action to override your prejudices, override the things that you hold, override all your money, your wealth, and the things that you hold on to, and say, I'm going to care about somebody more than myself. And, 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 and it's a powerful passage where you're going to see it now followed up with another key parable, story, illustration. And it happened as they uh that they went that uh, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary. So uh Luke here is not going to go into great depth the way that John or some of the apostles does on this whole story of Mary and Martha. They were very close friends of Jesus. But you're seeing there's two sisters here and they have very diametrically opposing ways to serve Jesus. One of them is going to be a busybody, the Martha end of it, and Mary is going to be the one that just sits there and says, Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus. And Martha turns around and says, well, we've got to worry about the cooking, the cleaning, and so many other things. We've got Jesus coming to the house. And Martha turns around and says, well, if Jesus is coming here, I've got to make sure everything's spotless. I've got to get the dinner ready. I've got to do all this stuff. Jesus is bringing his whole entourage of how many people. So we've got to cook a whole bunch of stuff. And you can just see Martha all of a sudden. She's this, this type of woman that just is working a million miles an hour to make sure everything is just right. Mary turns around and she says, man, Jesus is here. I can hardly wait. I want him to sit down. I just want to sit by the fireplace and just listen to what this guy has to say. I can hardly wait to hear every single word that drips from his lips. And she had a sister called Mary who who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was what? Distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I'm trying to do all this work and my sister's just sitting there. You tell her to help me. Jesus, you go kick her. and She's right there by your feet. Just kick her, Jesus, and tell her to get up here. we got things to do. Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, Martha. He says, you are worried and troubled about many things. The stuff of this world. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. And you're seeing a a simple message of, of, of Jesus just coming up and saying, you've got to spend time with sitting at my feet. Jesus is calling and beckoning you into a love relationship with him. And we can get so distracted over so many issues that we start to take our faith and just fall, just a hair off to the side. And if we are a hair off, we can miss so much of Christianity. And what Jesus is saying, he says, throw it all away. I don't care about your mommy, your daddy, and how many excuses. Because, you know what, if you're being called into the kingdom, you can find so many good-sounding, good-sounding good-sounding issues that you can say, well, I just don't have time for Jesus anymore. And in you, in my life, it is amazing to see how we can be derailed, sidetracked, taken off course so quickly from just being with Jesus. He's given us power and authority, and if it's united with faith, we can conquer the forces of darkness because Jesus, Jesus is the one that does it the parable of the good samaritan it's it's an insult against judaism it's a very key pivotal pivotal parable that explains where judaism went wrong you see the levite you see you see here is the priest both of these people were so spiritually minded people But they turn their back on their own brother and says, I ain't got time for that. I don't want to touch this man. He's bleeding. I could be unclean. And in the meantime, notice what Jesus said. Now, who was the one that really loved his neighbor to the guy that's in the street? Put yourself in the guy in the street's perspective when you put yourself in his perspective in this parable and look at this guy saying, Hey, I'm laying here beaten, robbed, and starving to death. And who's going to help me? You're going to find out who your friends are. And in that situation, Jesus is the one that's there for you. True believers are there for you. But so many people walk away from you when you're in your pain. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you have felt beaten, robbed, and destitute of everything. Left empty and saying, Who's there for me now? Who's there for me now? And it's amazing. You can see so many people just just sit down there and leave you. And, and if that be true, then you turn the tables, if you would, on yourself and say, well, when I look at somebody, do I turn my back on them? Do I turn my back on them? I could go into a long argument, but I, I don't have time. There's 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 a calling and a mandate for you and I to be able to turn around and to say, Lord, I am going to be focused, determined on what you are calling me to do. I do not want to miss your kingdom for my mommy, my daddy, money, or a place to put my head. I do not want to miss all the things that are said and done. That, that can distract me. I can realize that God, you have presented your truth to me. I need to accept it, to walk in it, and to take it for what it's been given. That's our mandate, Christian. I do not want to miss what Israel, the nation of God, missed by turning its back on other people. I want to be the one true believer that can accept it, receive it, and listen to this, change my life because of it. And God is radically calling you, you, the individual, to change. And the moment I say that, something jumps into your mind and says, well, I can't do that right now because of this. It's amazing how the mind works. You automatically say well, this is just a bunch of baloney this is a bunch of stuff when I get out of here I'm out of here man I don't want anything to do with this I don't have time for that I don't have time to you know pick up my life and go to church on a Sunday night I don't have time to go to church on a Wednesday. I don't have time to do this and that. I just want to just give Jesus his time and then I'm going to go through my life. I'm telling you right now, God wants all of us, every single one in this room, to escalate our our, our calling, to receive the things that he has. He he wants us to be able to go forward and he wants us to be sent out. He wants us to go out in the name and the authority of Christ and he wants us to be what? Casting out demons, having healing and power over the, 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 the darkness that's over there and we should start to see wonderful things happen in our life. Going back to last week's sermon where we should be Bearing fruit, and our lives are pathetic. God is calling us in the midst of a, a, a wicked, destitute place. The, it, one of the arguments I wish I could go through, and I just—it's it, a strong argument where it says, you know, uh, 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 in a nutshell, you're going to be judged. Do you want to be judged when God comes up? If we understood this scenario, where He'd say, Columbus, you're disgusting. Now, according to this, we're, do we get judged according to being part of Columbus? Columbus, you are a retrobate, foul, perverted party place. And you are going down the tubes because Columbus has got to be thrown into the depths. Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be better than Columbus. And I turn around and go, oh, <laughs> I'm the first one to tell you, man, Columbus is yeah, terrible, terrible. But me, you no, know, I'm different. It's weird. It's a weird concept. I wish I could develop this fully. But God, God wants us to sometimes see the pain of Columbus around us. And it is amazing how you and I can look at the judge, Columbus, and say it's a terrible place. When the fact of the matter is it's you and I that make up Columbus. It's you and I that make up the community, and you and I aren't affecting the community. And when he calls us to be salt and we sit here and do nothing... Jesus says the salt is useless, throw it in the trash. And the mandate for us is to say, are we affecting the community? Is Calvary Chapel Columbus affecting the community? Are you reaching out to anyone around you? Are you taking any power and authority over the demonic realm? It's amazing to see if we can judge Columbus so easy, but it's really hard to judge me. I, 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 I can come up with a thousand excuses. And Jesus says, it's just as quickly as you can judge Columbus, uh, why don't you judge yourself? Uh, 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 and instead of putting a spin on it as a lawyer and saying, well, uh, uh, define the word is, define the word, define the word neighbor, define this, define that. I don't really have to do what you're telling me, Pastor, because I got, you know, a lot of things to do here. And Jesus just says, baloney. You got me. Sit at my feet. Do the important thing. Allow the power and the authority to work through you. Wonderful things can happen. God wants to take your life right here, right now, today, and change it. Change it. Change it. He's begging you. Change. Don't let this just fall off your ears. Jesus says, let this sink down through your thick skulls. I'm going to be rejected. Do you really want to be part of me? And we all know that Jesus has got the answer. We're supposed to be believers, and we want to sit down it Says Lord, change me right here, right now. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and close in prayer. It's a difficult message. Jesus speaks difficult things. End it with the concept if you give your life to Christ, He'll take you to wonderful places. You could be sitting across the table from a professional wrestler. <laughs> Share the Lord together as brother to brother. You have no idea what the Lord wants to do in your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We do want to follow you, Father. We want the radical results to see the power in our lives over the boogeyman that bothers us. Father, change us. Mold us. Shape us, Father, into your children. Father, let these words sink deep into our ears. Father, I pray that our cages would be rattled a little bit, that we'd be challenged to live for you. And Father, most of all, Father, forgive us Forgive us for taking advantage of you, ignoring you, Father, and falling asleep on the job. Father, I pray that you would put a spark in this church to wake us up. Put a spark, Father, in our hearts to make a change. Father, we want to be a little bit better off than Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't want to be as blind as Sidon and Tyre. Father, we want to see the things that we have and to make changes. Father, we're Your children. Father, if there's anyone here that needs to repent of something, I pray that they'd come forward to receive prayer. Father, if there's people here that don't know You, Father, that have been sitting on the fence, let today be the day of change, Father, that they would be born again, live for You. And Father, for those believers that have just been wallowing, wake us up. Father, these are hard messages. Message to shock us into a little bit of understanding. I pray that we would truly love our neighbor. The people that we can despise. And that we'd come alongside, Father, and just to put our arm around them and to love them. Father, build your kingdom. We thank you, Father. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.